Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Motorbells with Steve Letard and Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett. I'm Mike Bagley. So glad you're with us here on this edition of Motorbells. What a weekend. What a night. Big, big night. Not only here, but at the top of the hour for you as well. I'm having a hard time staying focused here on racing. <laughs> Why, it was a great weekend of racing. It's been a great week of hockey. And we have a Game 7 in the Stanley Cups. The Boston Bruins against some team from the Midwest. It's going to be a great... Uh, Great show. I'm ready. I'm ready. We'll talk more about that over the next hour. How about you, DJ? How you been? Everything's good. Uh, I just watched that opening. I just, I, I'm so entertained by drivers, and I know I was in that situation a few times too, just their reactions after races, especially when you think you should have done a lot better than what you did. Uh, it's just priceless. But uh, looking forward, I know the drivers are looking forward to the week off, but I'm looking forward to them coming back and then us taking over uh, shortly after. I'm entertained by drivers that are entertained because they were the same way. They just him and Burton and Dale Jr. They're like, well, did I act that way? I think y'all did. Well, let's not forget about crew chief, too. You think <laughs> no, about things a little differently now, too. Angels. Angels. Well, we've got lots to talk about today, and we begin with our starting grid. Some big-name drivers walked away from Michigan angry. Were they right to be frustrated? Plus, Haley Deacon's last lap bump and win was the talk of the sport this weekend. What do you think of Deacon's style? And with a big game seven on NBCSN tonight, we discuss the most clutch performances in all of NASCAR. But first, here are the updated playoff standings. Following Monday's race, defending cup champ Joey Logano became the fifth driver this season with multiple wins, while seven-time champ Jimmy Johnson left Michigan with just a three-point lead over Ryan Newman for the final playoff spot. DJ, you walked away from Monday's race in Michigan thinking what? Well, after I wiped the sweat from my forehead and my hands after sitting <laughs> on my sofa and driving that race, uh, it was crazy. What a great race. But I think the thing that strikes me the most whenever I saw the playoff standings 
are the two guys that occupy 15 and 16. Kyle Larson and seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson sitting there on the bubble right now. And just how difficult a challenge they have ahead of them. Just think about the races coming up uh, on a road course, Chicagoland, and then Daytona, and how different this might look when we get to that point in time. And, and just how many people are in the mix right now. It's, it's really close. I don't think anybody from ninth on back all the way to 20th uh, is, can say that they feel good about the position or safe in the position. A lot of them are glad to be in there inside that top 16 right now, but a lot of racing to do with a lot of points to be swapped. Well, you mentioned being inside the top 16, and you mentioned Larson and Jimmy Johnson. They're currently in. What really I've noticed is they're in, but right on their heels, Ryan Newman. So I'm not going to give Ryan Newman the firepower to go win a race yet. I think they're closing in on being better. But I will give him the firepower to blue-collar race you to death. He will gobble up points, uh, three or four in each stage, end up just inside or just outside the top ten. Next thing you know, you blink, and he has pointed his way in front of you within the playoff standings. That's your first threat outside the top 16. And then behind him, it gets even scarier because I think Aaron Jones can win. He's driving a Joe Gibbs Toyota. They continue to go to victory lane. I know while Eric Jones perhaps hasn't been battling as much as Martin Truex, Denny Hamlin, and Kyle Busch, don't let that fool you. There have been races that he has been much better, flat tires, loose wheels, things outside of the driver's control. I think he can win. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr., you still have Daytona. If you're taking Ricky Stenhouse Jr. to a plate track, and really any of the tracks anymore, ran good at Charlotte, I think it's not just who's barely inside the 16, but who's nipping at their heels is going to make it for a fun summer. Is that largely going undiscussed, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., because he's laying there. You talk about Eric Jones. The thing with Jones for me is they got to get this consistency to level out here. They're there are mistakes here, things there. They're finding, they're finding themselves in positions where, you know, they're a victim of other people's situation. Yeah. What about, I mean? Well, I think what happens is, is as the consistency doesn't come, the desperation does, that almost makes them more dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. so, so with this stage racing the way it is, you take Eric Jones, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Ryan Newman, why we don't think they're going to go up and pass Kyle Busch for the lead. You give those crew chiefs a chance to throw the dice. If you give one of them the lead, I'm not sure you're going to drive right around them. Yeah, and the other thing that I see happening here, some of these drivers and teams, and I'll put it to the driver crew chiefs, aren't very happy with each other right now. Just the, the level of frustration there. Uh, and so it's probably a good time for a week off to kind of regroup, have some conversations and things. But that's opened the door uh, because they expected somebody, Clint Boyer, for example, it, we expect him to be well inside that top 10 and not even thinking about falling outside the top 16. He's run well enough, but they haven't put everything together and gathered enough points. So that opens the door for other things to happen. And when we go to Daytona with a totally different package than what they ran there in February, who knows what could happen. But we know that Eric Jones won there last year and Ricky Stenhouse is capable of winning at any point in time on a plate track. So that could shake things up. Got a lot of folks lined up wanting to join the conversation. You can as well. 844-NASCAR-NBC, and he's 14 for 14. Carl from Akron is first up. Carl, good evening, buddy. How are you? Good evening. Great. I was at a MIS last weekend. What a great weekend. I want to thank you, producers, and you guys, the people that come up and took pictures with me just because they've heard me on Motor Mouse was humbling. <laughs> so, Caroline and the boys from the Outer Realm, I appreciate it. But with that being said, DJ, you just kind of hit on it. Are we starting to see a strain between Rodney Childress and Kevin Harvick because of the late call that Harvick didn't agree with? Are we seeing a strain there? Yeah, I, I'm sure there is there. I don't think it's anything that we need to be concerned about. I think it's just a situation that probably behind closed doors, and that's 
not been Harvick style over the years. He's not afraid to jump out and throw things as soon as he gets out of the car. But he didn't have a lot to say the other day. But I'm sure that they've had some meetings, probably Tony Stewart involved in that too, just to say, hey, let, let's get on the same page here. We, we've had good race cars. Uh, I don't know that you can say this year, as in other years, that they've had winning race cars as much as what they had had in the past, but they're working their way in that position. And as a driver, when you get beat by other strategies. And I know that they had had some left front tire wear. And I just, you know, I don't know if that came into Rodney's mind or not, that they needed to get four tires there. Uh, But as a driver, uh, you're not happy when you have a good race car and a chance to win and you feel like that your strategy puts you behind. So I'm sure there's a little bit of strain, but this isn't uh, a pairing that's going to go away anytime soon for me. Crew Chief, let me start with you. Four tires, when everybody was taking two, he decided to go four. He took ownership of it on Twitter when the race was over. What do you think he was thinking there? Uh, to be quite honest, I think there are crew chiefs that have had such fast race cars for so long that they are adapting to this new style of track position racing this year. Um, you know, the four of Kevin Harvick last year, I think four tires might have been the right call because that, those tires would have overcome Kevin Harvick, Rodney Childers' race cars that he builds that are so fast could have overcome it this year. I do think they were one of the fastest cars, and there's just no chance, no opportunity. They they needed the yellow to be earlier. I'm not even sure that would have fixed it. So I disagreed with the call when it happened. Uh, look, I made a lot of bad calls in my career. It's a lot easier sitting on your couch and even easier on Monday, <laughs> Tuesday at this time, than it is to do it during the race. Um, so, you know, I didn't love the call. He didn't love the call. But I think going back to what Kevin Harvick said, he didn't blame Rodney Childers. Now, that is about the nicest Kevin Harvick can be. I don't like how he answered the questions. I don't like the I did my job statement. But I would be concerned if he said, well, they messed it up. He didn't point a finger. Yeah. Now, he didn't jump in the ship with him and take blame, but he made sure he didn't point a finger. That would concern me more. But when I watch that whole race, DJ, I'm wondering who is going to be the standout this year. Who's going to be Joey Logano? Last year, we talked yeah. all about the big three. Come Miami, you and I were both there. It was Joey Logano standing in victory lane with the championship trophy. Who is it? This year it's Gibbs and Penske toe-to-toe, whether it's Logano, Keselowski, um, Kyle Busch, Truex. Maybe I'll throw Denny Hamlin in there. I don't believe it. Someone else. And is it going to be Kevin Harvick, right? Can they right the ship? I think they can. And when they do, all of this turmoil will actually be what builds them stronger. You know, can they correct it, though, over the summer? I think you'd be... Sadly mistaken if you think that Kevin Harvick's not going to be a part of the championship uh, talk whenever we get down to the last seven, eight races of this season. Will he be part of that championship for? More than likely he is going to be, but they have things that they've got to shore up from the pit crew to, to calls uh, and, and adjusting their, their strategies to the way that the racing is now and, and probably Kevin even on the racetrack. But I'll say this about the race on Monday. I came away watching a driver leave over 160 laps of a 200-lap race, but the race was as highly entertaining as it could possibly be with one car and one driver dominating that much. It was fascinating to watch the drivers perform. Well, it was amazing because Logano or whoever at the front of the field was not getting away. I think the biggest lead Joey had was almost like a second, yeah. and that was after that green flag pit stop stretch late in the race. But Truex and Kurt Busch got lined up, oh, tracked yeah. him down. Had that last caution not come out, I'm not sure if we're talking about Joey Logano winning that race. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if you, when we go back there a second time, if nothing changes, Martin Truex Jr. and Kurt Busch will just be wiser with more races under their belt. Because in Fontana, nobody could quite figure, am I supposed to be helping you or not helping you? How are we going to get to the front? Well, they figured it out at Michigan. Because let me tell you, Joey Logano, he was gone. Mm-hmm. And Truex and Kurt Busch said, all right, Kurt Busch in third really was the, was the puppeteer in this. It said, I'm not going to pull out a line. Yeah. And they ran Joey Logano down. Now, I think they broke up a little too early. 
Well, but you go back in a few months, do they stay together a little longer and maybe complete the pass? Yeah, and I think one thing that we saw that, that struck me, once they ran him down and the 19 was able to get a sniff enough of the 22, it pulled him up. That broke him away from Kirk Bush a little bit, so that kind of separated what they had going on. But, as you said, they're going to be a little smarter, a little wiser the next time and know what they need to do. Let's go back to the phones. Bring in Bob in Pennsylvania. Bob, good evening. Welcome to Motor Mouths. Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Very good. Hey, uh, the reason I'm calling in, I have a, you know, I'm a big fan of Joey Logano um, and always been, but I think that final restart, I agree with Kurt Busch and Truex on this, that I think Joey went off way too soon. Um, I think he actually restarted way too soon um, for the green flag. That's my opinion. But what do you guys think? Do you think Joey went too soon at the green flag, or is, was that just or not? I'm going to say I don't think so. And the, and the camera angle that we're showing right there, that's looking back. And whenever it looks like that he takes off and he is not to that, you're, you're not getting a full head-on uh, shot across the track as to where he powered up. But I like the idea that he made NASCAR make a call. I like the idea that he was ready. I don't think it was enough of a, of a difference to make that. And I think there's only so many things. You've got such a small box as a driver now to make that happen. And he'd been in charge of every restart pretty much throughout the entire day. I liked what he did, and I think it was totally within uh, the rules. <laughs> Defined too soon. Did he go before the line? Yep, absolutely. No doubt in my mind he accelerated before the line. Did he go so far before the line that NASCAR felt that could call him out? No. That tells me it was the perfect time to go. Look. DJ said it, the box is very small. My son races, I coach him. I've had Dale Jr. and Jeff Gordon as, as drivers in my car. As a crew chief, I, I can't drive. I can't do what you guys did or do currently. But I can give you my two cents. And, and I would have been telling my driver, if DJ was my driver, I'd have been telling my driver, listen, you know, don't let them beat you. You better make, if you're gonna get beat, get beat by something you've done or make the tower take it away from you. Because if you yeah. wait, Kyle Busch, one row behind you, he's going to time it, and you're going to be three wide before you ever get to turn one. Hit it with a gavel. I guarantee that's going to happen. So go ahead. Make the ref beat you. I love pushing the issue. Having a win makes that difference, too. You oh, yeah, take yeah. that chance to do that. And as a driver, the longer you wait in that box, especially in a pressure situation where you're in a green-white checkered uh, overtime situation like that, the longer you wait in that box, the more likely you are to spin the tires because you're going to try to stab the gas harder. I love what Joey Logano did there. And, again, yeah. I, I think that – he knew and NASCAR knew that, that they couldn't make a call against him. Yeah, the only way you wait to the second half of the box, those boxes are going to have to be two or three times the length. Yes. They're too short. That, that, that if you don't go with the first line, then the guy in second knows what you're doing and he's going to roll up on you and yeah. it's game over. Well, if it was earlier in the race, does that call get made? I mean, is this like Oh, no, a, you don't go that early, earlier in the race. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, this is the last that. hand of poker. You save your cards to the finish, the last move. That car length, though, it was about a car length. It was perceived a car length that he – Got the jump. I don't think it was that much. No? No. I, 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 again, I think it's angles and, and knowing exactly what that – I think that's – I think it's more we're, – we're talking more in feet than we are Carling. Would you have done that move? Absolutely. <laughs> more to come over the next hour. We'll look forward to talking with you. It's Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final tonight, and we want to hear from you. What do you think is the most clutch performance in NASCAR history? The latest edition of Coffee with Kyle is a fascinating conversation with the family of NASCAR Hall of Famer Wendell Scott. We'll show you a preview and send us your thoughts on Michigan, Haley Deegan, and anything in between using the hashtag LetMeSayThis.
As the clock ticks down to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final between the Blues and the Bruins, we take a look at Boston, a city that is thirsty for yet another championship coverage. Begins with NHL Live at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on NBCSN. Did you, what was the laugh for another championship? I thought that guy was a shot. Yeah, way too many up there. This will be the 17th Game 7 in Stanley Cup Final history. It's the first time that the Bruins will host such a game in their 95-year history. It's a good thing, too, because home teams have a 12-4 and record. Game 7 is all about clutch performances. But what about clutch performances in NASCAR? Your thoughts? Well, we've seen some. And, and you know, interesting thing, I wasn't sure. Let's go all the way back. I wasn't sure I liked the 10-race chase format in 04. I wasn't sure I liked the segments and all this stuff because I assumed that everybody did everything they could every week. Mm -hmm. I think what we learned and what we have learned in sports, what makes playoff sports great, what makes this hockey game tonight great is because it, it will be the most important hockey game that any of those players have ever played because the award is the biggest. That's what we've seen in racing. What makes the Daytona 500 special is the size of the event. The Brickyard 400, the size of the event. Well, what we have found is in this playoff format, every three races, it's a game seven moment just to get yeah. to the final. Mm -hmm. And then if you get to Miami, heads up, four guys, that is as good as game seven moment. So, I mean, think about it. You have Tony Stewart tying Carl Edwards. We've seen Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, so many clutch performances. Well, you make the, the point of their embedded game seven moments throughout the championship run. But it's still, because of the format, all leads up to that race at Homestead Miami yeah. Speedway. And in the case of Edwards and Stewart, all the racing that happened, this is obviously pre-playoff mm -hmm. format, all the racing that happened, all the laps that were turned, all the pit stops that were made, they ended in a tie. They took different roads to get there, but ended at the same exact place at the same exact time. Yeah, it's amazing that you go through an entire season. You're thinking about leading the most laps and leading a lap and getting bonus points all the way through that, and it could end up with the same amount, but it goes down to wins, which is what should matter. And as we talk about the playoff format that NASCAR utilizes now, you, you have to be there. We've seen that you have to win. Not you know, It's great that you're one of the four, but... Your job's not over. You've got to go win another race because that's what it takes to be the champion. I think back, the, the one that strikes me the most is uh, 1992 with Alan Colwicky uh, and, and Bill Elliott racing at Atlanta. I think there were five drivers that went in there with a mathematical chance of winning that. Colwicky, I'm telling you, this man could run a race, call a race, and drive the race car at the same time. He was the smartest race driver I ever knew uh, and to get everything done and calculating all of that. And he had people helping him do that. But to know exactly how many laps he had to lead to get those bonus points and, and to win, uh, just incredible what he did. Listen, the name that comes to mind, we've already discussed him tonight, that's Kevin Harvick, nicknamed The Closer. I have personally lost a Coca-Cola 600, a Martinsville. When it comes to the closing laps, he's the guy there that can go take the checkered flag. And, and we mentioned the hole he's kind of digging in playoff points this year. He might have to have another performance like he did in 14. Well, let's remember, <clears throat> he had to win Phoenix to make it to Miami. Walk-off win at Phoenix to make the Miami comes back and does it again a week later with the championship on the line. Back-to-back -back wins to win a championship. I mean, that would be basically what the Bruins are trying to do tonight. I mean, just for a little. Just go back, back to the, yeah. Just a juxtaposition. Yeah, just, just so I know where everybody stands. But What about you? Like, what, as a driver, when you have what you described in Harvick happen, mm -hmm. when that comes together, what is the feeling like as a driver when it's like you can't do anything wrong? When there's a big moment, 
you and the team, you stand up and you respond and you continue on and obviously working your way into a championship in the process. You know, I think leading up to the point of getting in the race car and going out and performing because that's your best thing. That's what you want to do is to be able to be in that situation at some point. Down. You think back to when you got started uh, that you wanted to be put in the situation. It's like Michael Jordan wanting the ball at the end of the game. You know, that's the man that wanted the ball. And as a driver, that's what you want. Put it in my hands. If you give me the car, put it in my hands, I'll go make it happen on the racetrack. And Kevin Harvick, one of the very best of all time in making it happen. Big names are made in the regular season. Superstars are made in the playoffs. Wow. That's yeah. in every sport. It doesn't yeah. matter. Stick, You're ball, right. hockey, yeah. auto racing. I know a lot of great players in the regular season. They, yeah. They're just they're not superstars. Let's go back to the phones. 844-NASCAR-NBC. Sandra is in the house from Las Vegas. Hello, Sandra. Welcome to Motor Mouths. Hello. How are you? Good. Good. My question is, is how come the Joe Gibbs boys can't seem to get it together to work together as a team and push each other, um, like I noticed, out of the other ones? Well, oh man, I'm torn on this subject. So, so I guess so you you don't feel like they don't work well enough together. My my counter would be that I'm thankful they don't work together. Um, so I don't think you're incorrect if I'm Joe Gibbs or Toyota. Perhaps that's a conversation I want to have. But what makes Joe Gibbs racing great is they don't work together that they have four drivers that are selfish, that want to go win races. They're in the best equipment. Um, could they work together? Perhaps it needs to be looked at because they have made success on the super speedways, but I'm going to tell you the day that happens, I'm going to be the guy in the booth just downgrading every one of them because that's not what fans come to watch. That's not what I come to see as a broadcaster. I see Kyle Busch trying to beat Martin Trex Jr. Uh, I know it sounds like Sandra is perhaps a Joe Gibbs Racing fan, but most fans have a favorite driver, and I know every driver, they're their own favorite driver. So they should go out there and race for themselves. You had teammates. How did you manage that? Uh, we were great until it was time to race. And then if we could get in that situation, Bravo. if we could help each other during the race, that's great. But we're not going to go. I'm not going out of my way. If you haven't noticed, race drivers are a selfish bunch. And we're there's out for are. one thing, and that's to get a trophy ourselves and for the team and our crew that, that we work for and drive for. And that shouldn't change. Uh, if it lines up that you can do that, that's fine. But I can tell you, I, I was never more uh, with more than a two-car operation. But if, if it wasn't, if it was a situation that somebody from another team, another manufacturer that I worked better with on a particular day, hey, that's who I'm working with to make it happen. I was working with whoever could help me get to the front. Well, and listen, you listen, be careful what you wish for, because all those plate races that people didn't like, and they all had their arm. Oh, oh, it's the rules. It wasn't yeah. the rules. It was the teamwork. Yeah. If you take the teamwork off the front three cars, they don't run single file. So be careful what you wish for. What is Joe Gibbs' life like right now? Because it used to be he had to manage four teams all simultaneously when they were running virtual simultaneous together. But it seems like you have a breaking of ranks with Kyle and Martin, and then you have Eric and Denny that are trying to sort themselves out. What's it like? trying to manage that ever-changing landscape? Because you got you got a couple of type A personalities over there in the 18 and the 19 cars. <laughs> well, you have to ask yourself, would you rather be managing what he's managing or what Rick Hendrick's managing? Because that's your other option. That's and fair. I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but that's, that's the truth. Like, mm -hmm. it is difficult, but that is why you see Roger Penske, Rick Hendrick, you know, those type of people, Joe Gibbs, be successful. What do they do as car owners? They can't set up the race cars. They hire the right people, they raise the money, and they get involved when nobody else can get involved. And I'm sure there'll be a moment where he'll have to get a couple drivers in the bus and give whatever. But he's giving the halftime speeches. We just heard him on the Dale Jr. download throwing oranges at halftime at his players because they play like crap in the first half, right? He knows how to work with type A personalities. 
even Kyle Busch, I think, won't be the most challenging personality he's ever worked with. There's only one person in the sport of NASCAR that has uh, that's in the, the football hall and has Super Bowl rings too, <laughs> and, right. and that's Joe Gibbs because there's no better people person and getting the most. He understands when he needs to get involved and when he needs to stay out of it and let the drivers handle it. Next up, Butch in Florida. Butch, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good, thanks. I got one question. I'm just thinking I'm a big Kyle Busch fan, and I think he's sort of gliding right now just because he's got the lead. What do you think? Hmm. Um, so, I, I guess my follow-up is I've never seen Kyle Busch coast ever or Not glide ever. Um, I do believe that I – I won't say I do believe. I was shocked the 18's performance in Michigan. Um, I know he finished okay, but they were just a non-factor the whole race. Um, I think that's what that team needed. I know it sounds silly, but I think they've been so good this year. Uh, I know Kyle Busch doesn't like the rules. That's fine. That's a personal opinion, but he's driving them to win. And it's not taking away from his performance. He may not no, like not it, at all. and he may be verbal about it, but it's not taking away from the performance of the car. But they will see that run in Michigan as a black eye, and I think they'll come back and be better. Yeah, that man took a 15th-place car the other day and put it in the top right. five and put himself in a situation to even have a chance to win there. But I think they probably expected a little something different with the track widening out a little bit more and that they were going to need a lot more stability in their race car and Logano and a few others trim their cars out a little bit more when they go back to that second race at Michigan and Michigan hasn't been their best track but I'll guarantee you they'll be a lot more competitive and you don't want to make enemies I mean it's only June right you got to run the whole year you know what I mean it's one thing to win but you don't want to make a lot of enemies I thought what was funny at the end of the race when Kyle took the checker flag across the start finish line Adam Stevens his crew chief keyed up and says well that Dennis visits over <laughs> painful day in the Irish Hills if you can call a fifth-place finish painful. Coming up, we'll head back to the phones for more of your calls. 844-NASCAR-NBC. That's the number. Plus, we'll talk Haley Deegan and all that surrounds that situation when we return. Greetings. Welcome to NASCAR America Debrief. Nate Ryan here with Marty Greetings. Snyder. He loves that. Kyle part. Petty. He loves yes. I love that. And Tyler Reddick. Greetings. 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 Jeff always loves it when I say greetings. I that greetings. Time in South Boston. Yeah, we're going to show with greetings. Everybody's going to have a tagline. Now, I've never heard greetings as a tagline. And with Nate, I'm surprised it's such a simple word that everybody understands. It could also serve as a uh, Botany 500 commercial as well with that sport <laughs> coat that Nate's got on. Don't forget that <laughs> conversation. It doesn't end at 6 Eastern. Head on over to YouTube for the NASCAR America Debrief, where we take more of your calls at 844-NASCAR-NBC. Let's go back to the phones. Cody is next up. Hello, Cody. Hi, guys. How you doing? We're doing good. Great. Thank you. Um, I just had thoughts on the end of the K&M West race. Um, I, a lot of people are calling it controversial, but I just I think it's just good, hard, regular short track racing. I don't think Haley did anything wrong. I think she held her line, and it's just good short track racing. Well, I'm going to let yeah. the driver go All first. right, driver. See it. Hey, I'm not going to disagree with, with his assessment right there. I, that is short track racing across the country, and it's what you see. And especially in 2019, this day and time, as a driver, you, you have to make your mark. You, you have to get wins when they're right there. And uh, I think I always looked at this in a way, did, did I do that a lot? 
during my time, which was in the 90s and early 2000s? No. But I think as a driver now, you have to make that happen. Things You have to make things happen for yourself. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think, what any of the three of us and what the fans out there think. It's up to Haley Diggins. If she can get up in the next morning and say and look in the mirror and say, I'm good with what I did, how I went and drove that race, and I took that, and I think she did an outstanding job. I didn't see anything that, that was dirty there. It wasn't like she ran into the back of him and, and spun him out. Uh, you know, she had a small opening, and she took that. So I, I'm okay with that. I think what I appreciate the most is Haley Deegan has the – the last name, um, has the look, has the sponsor, has the presence on social media, has everything to be successful, yet drives like she has none. Drives like her performance on the racetrack is what's going to have to make her stand out over everybody else. Mm -hmm. That, with everything I listed as a combination, is making me a Haley Deegan fan. Do I love this move? I won't say I love it. I don't have a problem with it. Much what DJ said, what I did appreciate is she owned it. She didn't get on social media and apologize. She was just the opposite. She said, no, no, no. Her opinion was the driver ran her up the track to take the lead, so she went in, didn't hit him in the rear bumper, got inside the left rear, and moved him up the track. I will say I think a few more uh, years of experience, and she won't spin the guy. She'll just send him up the racetrack a little bit, a little Jeff Gordon-esque, a little bump and run and go on by. But, um, you know, look, there's always going to be controversy. In the end, it, my question is to you, Mike Bagley, if she would have run second, and not touched her teammate, how much would you have talked about her all week on SiriusXM? Well, that's a good point. Probably none at all. However, is it more important to be talked about during the week or start your reputation as a driver that perhaps maybe will override any skill set that you have? The talk is about how she raced, and that's obviously uh, created a lot of conversation. We talked about it this morning on SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. And my, my problem with the whole issue was what she did after. It's like, all I, I won the race, and that's all that mattered. But to me, there's more to it than that. To me, there's a longer effect because she's done this before. She's had issues where she's had contact, and she's slowly starting to gain the reputation of, yeah, I won the race, but there was contact involved for me to get it. And when you're 17 years old, you've not even really gotten started yet. That can stick with a driver for a long, long time. Well, yeah, but we've seen a couple of drivers go through their careers and have a big bank account because they were that aggressive and did that and didn't give a damn what anybody else said or thought. So, you know, they owned up to it. My, my thing that, that strikes me is that what happens when she's in this situation and gets taken out uh, a payback at some point in time? Because that's usually going to come around at some point in time. How does she handle that situation? Right. If she's okay with it coming back on her, then, then I'm perfectly good with her being uh, aggressive here and making her name. And, and, and if she's known as an aggressive race driver, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I know she defense. has at least one coming. Oh, yeah, she has one coming. But to, and to her defense, listen, the series she runs in doesn't run in a lot of mile-and-a-half and two-mile tracks, as yeah. in none. So, right. you, know, you know, to say, well, she's done this three times, well, okay, she did it at a very small dirt track and two little asphalt bull rings. I was going to go on a limb and say whoever won those races were going to win by that move. It just happened to be her. Someone was going to win. Might as well be her. Why not? <laughs> Cliff, Myrtle Beach, you're up next. Cliff, hello. Hey, guys. I want to get your thoughts on who deserves to be in a cup car the most next year. Custer, Bell, or my man, Tyler Reddick? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes, yes, yes. I yes. mean, um, <laughs> impressive. So, I think here's the thing. Yes, yes, and yes is right because I could give you a list of drivers that don't deserve to be in the rides they're currently in. How about that? I'll go with drivers that um, we have seen this happen in NASCAR. We have saw it for a time where there were very few in the rookie crop 
or available rookies. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there were a lot of drivers that did their best and were recycled. And I think what we're getting ready to see is a wave of new, fresh talent. Mm -hmm. So if you're A, a driver that is required, requiring more pay than you're worth, you're going to be replaced by the business model. Or if you're a driver that just A, can't seem to get it done anymore, for whatever the reason, you're going to be replaced. And I think all three of them are destined to run on Sunday. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind. These are three exceptional race drivers. They get the job done on every type of racetrack. They're aggressive uh, at the times they need to be aggressive. Uh, they're good at getting their equipment to the end of the race uh, most times. And uh, they just have struck me as drivers that are ready to be in the Cup Series and are going to be there. Not just being there. They, they don't deserve just rides to be in the Cup Series. They deserve top-notch rides that gives them an opportunity to win races. From a selfish perspective, though, I like watching them on Saturday. I think what they do <laughs> yeah. on oh, Saturday is okay. spectacular. So, listen, we only have a minute or so left in this segment, so I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole too far. But can we not put either a, a race requirement or an age limit in the Xfinity Series? Because let me tell you right now, you put Bell, Custer, uh, Reddick, Allgaier, who's still there. And let's yeah. throw in Suarez, who probably could have still been there. And Byron, you would have some Saturday races to remember. Mm -hmm. So, guys, yeah. be careful what you wish for. Because while they deserve to be Sunday, I'm with you. Selfishly, see, they're making Saturday fun. I would much rather see them, at least in the short term, be, be the headliners of Saturday and watch that all play out rather than bring them to Sunday and run the risk of them getting gobbled up with some of the other superstars that are out there that could steal some of their thunder. You put those three drivers head-to-head, -head, you got yourself a show right there. Yeah, because, yeah. listen, when you, move that con when you move that comma in those contracts, that makes a difference. <laughs> and add those zeros in do. there as well, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You work one more day a week, it's well compensated. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, we'll preview the latest installment of Coffee with Kyle, who was joined by the family of a NASCAR legend. Get to 63 because 63 is such a pivotal year for your dad in our nation and in this nation yeah if i lay your dad's year out and i lay the civil rights movement out and i go to a letter from a birmingham jail a little bit later in that year we have the i have a dream speech we have kennedy sending the national guard to the university of alabama to allow two african-americans yeah. to enter the school both the students are 20 years old and then on November 22nd, we have the assassination of a president. Right. Then on December 1st, First, yeah. December 1st, right after the assassination, Wendell Scott wins at the highest level of NASCAR. You know, as mystical as it sounds, you know, he was, um, we know that a lot of things in life we can't explain, but uh, he was moving on that level of time. And I really believe that um, as I've reflected back and thought about it, you know, it was something that was destined. What a, pow what a powerful conversation that's going to be uh, coming up here later on. Coffee with Kyle sitting down with members of the Wendell Scott family. Full um, conversation coming up available on YouTube at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight. I can't imagine, they did a great job of laying out that year of 1963. A lot went on back then. A lot probably was have been forgotten that it has been remembered, but it's going to be well documented tonight. Your thoughts on that sit down that Kyle's going to have with well, the uh, Scott family? Well, I love what the NASCAR Hall of Fame, what Kyle's done, because someone like me, it allows me to understand better the history of this sport that I've been so fortunate to work in. And, and this particular conversation reminds me that 
we get to cover a sport. Mm-hmm. We get to cover, like, this isn't, it, I mean, it's real life, but it's just a sport. It's not brain surgery. It's not politics. It's not, it, it's guys driving around. It's very important. It's entertaining and it's a sport. What the conversation they're talking about is where sports transcends just entertainment, right? It moves uh, generationally kind of along with the country. I, I'm fascinated. Eight o'clock I'll, after the hockey game, I'm going to tune in and listen. I love when Kyle sits down. These Coffee with Kyles are so much fun. Kyle has conversations with people that I think only Kyle could have. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. they're so well done. So uh, There's so much fun to listen to. Yeah. You know, it, it takes me back as a kid. I mean, I, I was around the sport with my dad during that time that Wendell Scott and his family, I mean, knew them all. I mean, I didn't look at them as any different than anyone else there, which is what they wanted. They just wanted to be there and race and do what they did. And I can remember Wendell Scott coming to my dad's garage in Newton, North Carolina, where he, my, when my dad was getting ready to go drive uh, for Bondi Long in Camden. So he had all of these parts and pieces, uh, even quarter panels and fenders and things like this. And Wendell came, my dad said, look, come get it. Uh, it it's yours. And he even had a car up on a, a tow truck and he was flattening out some of these pieces, just throwing everything that he could get because he, he just didn't have the money to, to do this. But my dad uh, gave him a lot of this stuff and, and helped him. And he went and took, it was amazing how good he really was. If he would have really ever been in you know one of the, the factory back uh, pieces of equipment, uh, I think you would have saw a lot more. But it's just amazing to watch him go about his job and do his job and, and be around the, ra- around the racetrack during those times. He never asked to be thrust in that position. What put him there is simply his decision desire and love of racing. Yeah. That's all he wanted to do is run races, run as competitively as possible, but he did it for the love of the sport. Yeah, and, and they did it in a different way. I mean, the, the things that we've heard over the years of coming in for a pit stop and getting out and having a Coke and a pack of crackers, those are things that actually happened. You know, they, they went about their business in the way that they could, the best that they could, and they did a tremendous job. Coming up, we'll head back to the phones. Call 844-NASCAR-NBC if you want to join the conversation or tweet us with the hashtag Let me say this. We got a special breakdown right here. Bubba Wallace throwing a football out on a racetrack, focusing the eyes. I mean, he's all over this. Eye on the target, not looking at the pass rush, anything like that. Don't necessarily like where you're keeping the ball. I'd like you to just bring it up just a little bit, okay? You know, you're not at that Aaron Rodgers Mahomes level yet where you can just sling it from anywhere. I don't think you're quite there. You can drive a car. I'm just not sure about throwing a football yet. I like arm angle. Come on, anybody who's watching Chris Sims quarterback school, I talk about arm angle all the time. Keeping that angle right there throughout the throwing motion is paramount to being a successful thrower. Keep that front hand on the football a little bit longer. As you get ready to throw, don't just do this and now you make it all arm. Keep it in there just a little longer to now, boom, and now you can uncork some Patrick Mahomes fire. Chris Sims unbuttoned is all available uh, on all major podcast platforms. That was quite an in-depth analysis. I'm of taking throwing. it to Bubba Wallace because I want to see. I want to see some improvement. We're going to see if I have him back on. See if he's tightened up a few of those uh, fundamentals. Yeah, but let Chris go up there and throw up when he's standing on a banking and try to throw up that heel. It's a little more difficult. So I think Bubba did a great job. <laughs> Let's go back to the phones. Curtis, you're next up on Motor Mouse. Hello, Curtis. Hello. How are you guys? We're well, thank you. Yes, uh, my question is, does anyone think that maybe Kyle Larson needs to back off of some of the sprint car stuff and 
concentrate more on his stock car racing with a heavier car and a larger car and less grip. He can't throw it around like he does a sprint car. Well, so, so I'm going to jump in there, and I think that uh, that's a great point, and I've heard it from a lot of different people, but my opinion on drivers, and I can only say this because I've never been a driver, but talking to them, is that driving anything tests your reaction time and works muscles that nothing else will. So I do have, think he has an accurate assumption that they drive totally different, but I don't think that's his – it's not like he doesn't have speed in the cup car. If that was yeah. the case, I'd say, okay, maybe so. It's more of a longevity. He has to work his way through 400, 500 miles. I'm not sure not driving the other cars are going to help that. No, he'll be the first to tell you that he doesn't know anything about the cars. He just knows how to drive the heck out of them. And so I think that one thing that's of utmost importance and it's overlooked sometimes, a happy driver is a better driver. He's happy when he's racing those, and I don't think it takes away from what he does on Sundays. Dana, you're up next. Hello, Dana. Hello, gentlemen. It's an honor to talk to you, particularly you, Mr. Jared. I've always enjoyed watching you race. Um, I have a question about another champion of the sport, uh, truck champion Greg Biffle, who uh, came off the bench Friday night to win in the truck series. What did you think of his win, gentlemen? And do you think that because he's not declared in any of the NASCAR series, should NASCAR amend the criteria and allow him to race for the triple truck challenge? Well, it's not because it's he didn't declare for points for the series. It's when the entry was filed. We don't even know if he's, if he's able to race at Iowa this weekend yeah, yeah. or Gateway. So that's the that's the entanglement there. But what about old Biff bringing her back out on the racetrack? Uh, 14 years since he had raced last. So listen, Biffle's been fast in about everything he's ever been in. Tons of yeah. talent, champion. It uh, didn't surprise me that he went out there and won. We had this conversation on this same show Um it was fun. It was good. The truck series needs it. Like the truck series needs a little shot in the arm. It was a great story. I think some of them young drivers need a little <laughs> shot in the arm. But hey, this this guy right here still has it. It was a great story. As far as what happens with the other stuff, I, I just like watching guys race. So yeah, I, yeah. It's unfortunate that maybe they couldn't have put that together, uh, but. Greg Biffle was a wheel man the first time I ever saw him, and he's still that to this day. He got the job done at a racetrack that requires all of your attention. I don't care if you're driving a truck, Xfinity car, or a cup car. It requires your attention because you're going fast there, and he got it done once again. I wonder if the model doesn't change. What type of value does Greg Biffle have to one of these teams like Toyota, who's yeah. grooming yeah. Harrison Burton and Gilliland, two very talented guys that have struggled to get the victory lane? What could a Biffle, being yeah. there a little bit more regularly, help them kind of along maybe yeah. with the learning curve. Good point. 14, 15 years since his last NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series race. For those of you still on the phone, stay right there because we'll get to your calls in the NASCAR America debrief on YouTube at the top of the hour. Let me say this is coming up next. Game seven and the excitement is building. The Stanley Cup is here in Boston and these fans want to see their hometown Bruins skating with it. But the St. Louis Blues have been tough on the road all postseason. Should be a great finish to what's been an amazing series. We're gonna count you down to Puck Drop on NHL Live coming up next. Let me say this, people. Let me say this. Now, I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say this. Sorry, caller. But I'm going to say this. And let me say this. But I'm going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you. I'm telling you. But I'm telling you. But I'm telling you something. And listen, I will say it forever. 
Time now to check out some feedback from those who use the hashtag let me say this, and with that, we say greetings to Nate Ryan. <laughs> greetings, Bagman. And before I get started, just want to say great having you here, great partnership between NBC and SiriusXM. You've done great work, so Thank appreciate you. you being here, man. Thank you, sir. All right, hashtag let me say this. We'll start with Flying Gator, who wants to know how will losing nationwide affect Alex Bowman and Hendrick Motorsports? Guys, we had some news today. Nationwide announced they're not going to come back for the last deal with the number 88 Chevrolet, decided it was a business decision. Uh, Alex Bowman, however, is signed through 2020. So how do we think that will affect the team? Well, it's going to affect it. I mean, that's a huge void on that 88 car. They're a huge financial partner. Um, Rick Hendrick has been masterful at filling sponsorships when they when they've become available. We'll see if they can do it in, in a little bit tougher landscape of NASCAR. But uh, without a doubt, it can't feel good for an organization. Can't feel good if you're Alex Bowman to lose a primary sponsor like Nationwide. Uh, hashtag, let me say this, Dave Goddard, who uh, is tweeting us from the UK, we appreciate that, says, do we think, Martin Truex Jr. was a little bit gracious toward Joey Logano after the Michigan win, do we think that that was a little bit disingenuous and that there's still some lingering bitterness from Martinsville, or do we think that maybe Joey Logano and Martin Truex Jr. are past their differences? No, Martin Truex, he's just a nice guy. So that, you know, and he's going to say things like that. But, but don't think for a minute that he's forgotten about Martinsville. There'll come a time and a place where he will remember that, and it's in the closing laps. Not saying he's going to wreck Joey Logano, but he's going to make life miserable for him. So, you know, Martin's just a, a good guy, and I yeah, appreciate him doing that. But uh, something will come of this. They're, they're big rivalry there. I, it's yeah. probably the best one in NASCAR right now. That's he, good for us. He acknowledged that he had a fast car, but he also said, jump that start. Obviously, we're not policing those rules anymore. <laughs> so he, he got a little dig in there at the end of that. Uh, hashtag, let me say this. Mike Wicks wants to know, bringing up the Haley Deegan bump and run. Uh, wants to know, uh, did anyone check with Joey Logano to think if Haley Deegan did anything wrong? So a good point being made here, right? I mean, Joey Logano sort of set the, the standard for this. No, he didn't set the standard for that. He did move him up the racetrack, but he didn't turn him around. Uh, yeah, listen, uh, DJ said the best. It, this is, has to be policed by drivers with drivers. There's no referees on the racetrack for good reason. And maybe Martin Truex is just a better driver that he didn't spin out in that situation. How about that? Right, How about right. that? Uh, hashtag let me say this. Anthony DiLoretto wants to know Iowa hosting NASCAR this weekend. Will, will we ever see a cup race at Iowa? I'm never going to say never. And if it's, everyone's voting, where do I put my vote in? Yeah. I, I think, think it's, it's coming a, as soon as 2021. Fun, yeah. fun yeah. little racetrack. Uh, I'll check that yes box, I hope. Finally, hashtag let me say this. Brandon Smith wants to know, will Ryan Newman, who is currently right behind Jimmy Johnson in the point standings, three points back for the 16th and final playoff spot, does Newman outduel Johnson in the points this year? Ryan Newman makes the playoffs, but Jimmy Johnson does also. Look up the chain. Someone's right. going to have a bad wow. summer, and they're going to be out. Well, mm. we're out. We're out of time. Coming up on NBCSN, <laughs> coverage of Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final begins with NHL Live from Boston. As for us, we're moving over to YouTube for the NASCAR America debrief. So keep those calls coming in. Thank you so much for watching. For Steve Letart, Dale Jarrett, and Nate Ryan, I'm Mike Bagley. We'll talk to you soon. You ready for that Game 7, Stevie? There it is. The garden. I'm ready. Fired <laughs> up. <laughs> so long, everybody. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. 
Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.